You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. As Steve said, my name is Anthony, and I have the joy of continuing us this morning in our series in 1 John. And this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So 1 John 1, 5 through 10. And if you're using one of the hardcover Bibles in the pews, that is on page 1021. And so this morning, we're going to be looking and talking about light. And especially John's claim that God is light and what it means for us to walk in that light. And in thinking through this idea, I came across a song by Leonard Cohen. Uh, Leonard Cohen is a pretty famous songwriter, his most well-known song being Hallelujah, a song that most of you have probably heard either on the radio or television, or because it's featured in the cinema classic Shrek. Um, But as I was reflecting on our passage in 1 John, this chorus from Leonard Cohen's song Anthem really grabbed me. In this chorus, he writes, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. And while I don't think that Cohen had 1 John on his mind when he penned these lyrics, I do think he may be onto something. Because this whole song is wrestling through this idea of imperfection and what to do with imperfection. And when asked later in an interview what he meant by these lyrics, he repeated that last refrain, there is a crack, a crack in everything, and that's where the light gets in, and then went on to expound and said, that is where the resurrection is. That is where the repentance is. It's with the confrontation, with the brokenness of things. And so just like this song by Leonard Cohen John, too, is wrestling with this idea of imperfection. And he is writing to Christians that, just like us, were far from perfect. And he is pointing them and then pointing us to a God that is perfect, a God that is light, and then calling us to walk in that light, which is not ignoring or pretending that there are no cracks and that everything is fine. But instead, it is letting the light of God confront our imperfection. Letting him into those cracks, because that's how the light gets in. So hear now these words from 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see your light this morning. 
Teach us how to walk in your light. Keep us from being deceived and lured into darkness. And grow us into a people who take our sins seriously and confess our sin. And who rest in the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so jumping into our text, and as we read it aloud, I'm sure that you noticed this passage is full of these if-then statements, which honestly can make this uh, passage a little challenging to work through. But preceding all these if-then statements is this enormous claim by John that God is light. And then everything sort of waterfalls and flows from that idea. And so as we navigate this text, we're going to follow this same basic structure. And so we're going to first look at this idea of God being light, and then take a look at what it means to walk in darkness versus walking in that light. And so as we start off in verse 5, John says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. Now, the hymn here is Jesus. And so this grand message that John is about to clue us in on is the message that he has heard from Jesus and is now proclaiming to us. And that message is God is light. Now, if we think about this for a moment, it may cause us to kind of raise our eyebrows. Because if we are sharing the gospel or if we are trying to explain the central message of Christianity and really like distill it down to its core essence, I'm not sure many of us would go with God is light. Like I've sat through plenty of evangelism classes and seminars and God is light is not like one of the first lines I recommend you going with. So what is John getting at? Why is John drawing our attention to this truth in particular? And I think the reason is that John is making a profound statement about the nature of God in order to urge us, his readers, to be followers of this God and lovers of his light. Because remember, John is writing so that we may know God, have fellowship with him, and then have fellowship with each other. And so for us to have fellowship with God, for us to actually follow God, we should have a pretty clear idea of who he is. And John is answering that emphatically with a, God is light. And this idea that God is light is not unique to John. Like John wasn't just staring at the sun one day and hit with this moment of poetic inspiration. But this language is charged with importance. And God is routinely shown throughout the scriptures as being a God of light. Even as early in the first chapter of our Bible, in Genesis 1, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. And then we read that earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. But what did God do? God brought light. He created light, separating the day from the night, bringing order and bringing goodness to creation. And so just a couple verses into the Bible, and we already see this idea of God bringing light into darkness. And so as the rest of the story of Scripture unfolds, we see God creating a people for himself, the nation of Israel, who are supposed to be a light to the nations, a people who worship God, who follow his commands, and who live in contrast to the dark world around them as a beacon. Hello? Hello? 
Cool. As a beacon of his light, a nation set apart to be a demonstration of God's goodness and kindness. And then we flip over to John's gospel where he recounts the life and ministry of Jesus. And we see that he starts off his gospel by referring to Jesus as the light, the true light that gives light to everyone, a light that shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then the apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians that Rachel walked us through so well this morning um, tells that all who believe in Jesus have been brought from darkness to light and also shine this light. And so just in this quick survey, and we can keep going and going and going, this idea of God is light really runs throughout Scripture. And in pulling these threads together, we see that God is light is a statement about His holiness and about His revelation. His holiness and revelation. So first off, it's a statement of His holiness. God is perfect. He is the source of all things good and right and beautiful. And routinely, the light of God is shown in contrast to the darkness of sin. And as God's light shines in, it corrects and restores what sin has broken. Now, in thinking through this idea and the holiness of God, I am reminded of Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, for anyone who's doing like the old school paper, Old Testament uh, reading plan, kind of the few and the faithful who are still using the paper plan, uh, which I am one of them, we read about this recently. Uh, In the book of Exodus, we read that as Moses met with God on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, that after 40 days, he came down from the mountain glowing, radiant. And not just figuratively glowing, not just with some million-dollar smile, but physically shining, shining to the point that the Israelites were afraid to come near him. And so they ended up like putting a veil over glowing Moses, and then he would remove it when he would go back up to the mountain to commune with God. And this story is just one of the moments in Scripture where we see just this small sample of God's holiness And that as his holiness breaks into the world, that there is a change, that there is an effect. And so along with his holiness, and this idea of God as light, is one, a statement of his holiness, but two, his revelation. God is not hidden. He reveals himself. He shines in the darkness. He doesn't kind of creep around the edges of creation, trying to obscure his actions. But the story of the Bible is one of God piercing the darkness with his light and inviting all of creation to know, worship, and be known by him. Theologian John Stott, in reflecting this truth of God as light, summarizes this idea so beautifully. And he says, of all the statements about the essential being of God, none is more comprehensive than that God is light. It is his nature to reveal himself as it is the property of light to shine. And the revelation of light is of perfect purity and unutterable majesty. And so right after John drops this enormous statement that God is light, he then begins to explain and work through some of the implications of that. And going back to our story of Moses on the mountain, Our fellowship with God may not cause us to actually glow, right? 
Too much time in the Susquehanna might do that. But typically, that is not what happens when I read my Bible in the morning. But if it's true that God is holy and that he has shown himself to us, if God truly is light and we claim to be followers of this God, then that should impact how we live. There should be something about how we live, how we carry ourselves, how we interact with the world around us that marks us as a people of God, as a people of his light. And so it is here that John begins to contrast walking in light versus walking in darkness. And he does this through these if-then statements, starting at verse 6. And so to help us organize ourselves a little, we're going to pull these two ways of walking apart and first take a look at what it means to walk in darkness and then what it means to walk in light. And so jumping into verse 6, John tells us, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so straight off, we get a really good indicator here of who John has in mind as he is writing these words. That someone, that intended audience, being all who claim to have fellowship with God. Now often when we speak of those who walk in darkness, we immediately think of those who have no interest in things of God, those who have turned away, or those who have never heard the gospel. But that doesn't seem to be who John has in mind when he's writing these words. Instead, it's those who claim to follow God. And so this should prompt us to ask a question, well, then what does it mean to walk in darkness? Because if John is aiming this at those who claim to be God followers, then that would mean that this could apply to most of us in the room today. And so how can we tell then if we are guilty or if we find ourselves walking in darkness? Like what are the core symptoms of that? And in answering that question, we can take a look at verses 8 and 10, where John zooms in on a core symptom of walking in darkness. In verse 8, he tells us that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, that him being God, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so to sum it up, according to John, walking in darkness is denying our sin. And now in hearing this explanation and even reading these words of John, this can maybe be a bit challenging and a bit hard to wrap our head around. Because I'm not sure many of us here would be guilty of thinking that we are without sin. I would venture that we would all readily admit and own the fact that we've made mistakes, that we have acted wrongly, that we have caused harm, that we have lied, that we have sinned. And so if we're not careful, we can hear these words and read these words of John and kind of feel off the hook. Like, surely this can't be me. I am fully and completely and utterly aware of how sinful I am. So let's just kind of check that box and keep moving forward. But let me just slow us down and force us to work this through a little more. Because if we are not careful, we can become so comfortable confessing that we are sinful, that we stop confessing our actual sins. And instead, we can let these sins ruminate and fester and grow. 
Not because we don't realize they're there, but because our view of sin has become so overgeneralized that we no longer have real issue with them being there. We don't see them as impacting our life, our walk with God, or our fellowship with each other. And instead of waging war against our sin, we just kind of make peace with them. And they're kind of like that patch of grass that continually kind of breaks through your sidewalk or that picture that hangs a little crooked on one of your walls. Yeah, it's a bit of an eyesore, but it's not hurting anyone. So why take the time to fix it? Why put in the work to fix it? And typically for myself, these are sins we like to kind of merge with our personalities or we try to like explain away. Sins like pride or selfishness or bitterness or having a quick temper, or belittling others for our enjoyment. Instead of saying that we're prideful, we just say that we're really sure of ourselves. Instead of saying we have a quick temper, we can just say we got a lot going on, and we got a lot of things to get done. And before you know it, we've kind of built a wall around these parts of our hearts and these parts of our lives. And I understand that it can be really hard to put our fingers on these sins it can be really hard to pin them down. And sometimes if you're working through like bitterness or anger, it's because of a sin committed against you. And that line between working through your sin and letting your sin work through you is really fine and can be really hard to discern. And what I'm not calling us to this morning is to overthink every action and every thought to the point where we cripple ourselves burdening ourselves down with some weight of perfection. But instead, let me encourage us this morning not to just check the box that we have sinned, but to do the work of being specific with our sin and confronting our sin, of not letting our sins fester in the darkness, but instead bringing our whole selves before the light of God and letting him expose and burn away all traces of that sin. And let the light of God confront the cracks in ourselves, the cracks in our lives, and the cracks in our relationship. Because that's how the light gets in. And so while deception and refusing to deal with sin is a mark of walking in darkness, what marks those who walk in light is forgiveness and fellowship. Forgiveness and fellowship. First, forgiveness. In verse 7, John tells us that those who walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses them from all sin. And then again in verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those who John is pointing to as those who walk in light are those who confess sin and bring it before the Lord for forgiveness, and walk in his ways. Again, John Stott gives us really helpful language here uh, by saying that those who walk in light have this posture of honesty and purity. An honesty that calls us to confess our sins and to be clear-eyed about the effects of sin and the damage that it does to ourself and to others, but also a purity that drives us to repentance and causes us to put sin to death in our lives. But now notice with me the two attributes of God that John the Apostle links with forgiveness here in verse 9. 
his faithfulness and justice. He says here in verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, God's faithfulness is one that we kind of routinely link with his forgiveness. God is patient and delights in forgiveness. So it's natural that John would make reference here of God's faithfulness. But his inclusion of God's justice is an interesting one in this context. And as Christians, we celebrate God's justice, but we typically highlight it in connection to God's judgment of the wicked as God kind of setting things right. Not so much with his forgiveness. So this should cause us to ask, like, why is John sticking these two attributes of God together? His faithfulness and justice, how are they working here? And the clear answer must be that both God's faithfulness and justice are active in his forgiveness. Because God is faithful to his people, he has made a way to deal with their sin. That way being through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who bore the punishment of sin. So then all who call on Jesus no longer stand before God as guilty, but because of Jesus stand before God as righteous. And because of this, the justice of God no longer demands punishment, but instead it demands forgiveness. Because God is faithful and just, we can be forgiven. Biblical scholar Howard Marshall uh, puts this well in saying that the forgiveness of God is not an act of mercy which stands in opposition to his justice. God is not just making some exception to his own rules here. But instead, his mercy and his justice are ultimately one. And friends, please consider how freeing and how final this forgiveness is. Please know that God is not just hand-waving our sin away, but he has dealt with it. He has put it to rest. As the psalmist says, he has cast it as far as the east is from the west. And while we may have to deal with some of the consequences of our sin, especially as our sins often wound others, we can rest in the forgiveness of God, knowing that through the blood of Jesus, we have been cleansed of all sin. And because of this cleansing, because of Jesus, the justice of God now rules us as forgiven and righteous. And so as we confess our sin, whether it be privately or in corporate confession here on Sunday mornings, let this not just be some, some words that we kind of lazily stuff into a prayer, but let us consider the depths of that forgiveness and the freedom of that forgiveness and let it push us to walk in the light, knowing that while we sin and while we struggle, while we wrestle and strive to keep the good commands of God, that what marks those who walk in the light is not doing those things perfectly, but instead it's confession. And because God is faithful and just, it's a confession that leads to our forgiveness. And so marker one of those who walk in the light is forgiveness. And marker two is fellowship. Take a look again at verse 7 as John writes, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
Uh, a key aspect of walking in light is that it joins together all those who are walking in light as the light of God unites his people. And I came across a beautiful example of this earlier, I mean, a couple weeks ago. For my side job, I work, I work at a missions agency, and I was listening to a conversation um, about an Afghan church planner that my team works with. And this guy fled Afghanistan when the Taliban took over in 2021, and since then has made his way to the United States, where he works to evangelize and plant churches in refugee communities. And he was telling this story about how he had been meeting with some other Afghanis at this restaurant, and he had been sharing the gospel with them and really talking through and working through the differences of Islam and Christianity. And they seemed interested and had questions, and it led to plenty of good conversations. And so at one, at one point, they're sitting in this restaurant, and this guy was eating soup. And this soup had these little bits of pork in it. And for anyone who may not know, pork is forbidden in Islam. But at one point in this meal, one of them just like reaches over the table, sticks his fingers in this guy's soup, like grabs his piece of pork, and eats it. And rightly so, this guy's reaction was like, why'd you stick your fingers in my soup? And just start eating it. And some of you like are cringing right now thinking about that happening to you. I get it. But this guy's response was, I ate this pork to show you that I am no longer a Muslim, but that I am a Christian and that we are brothers now. And I thought that was such a beautiful snapshot of the fellowship that the gospel brings. Because these two guys on paper had so much in common. Both from Afghanistan, living in a different country, in the same part of the country, around the same life stage. And yet what united them at the deepest level in that moment was that they were both walking in the light of the gospel. And so let me just pose this question to us now. How are we reminding each other of our fellowship in the gospel? How are we sticking our fingers in each other's soup? How are we striving to be a people united not just by common interests or common life stages and common backgrounds, but as a people united as children of God trying to live in the way he has taught us to live? How are we reminding each other of the truth of the gospel and pushing each other to walk in the light? How are we calling out our brothers and sisters when we see them begin to stray into darkness? Are there people in your life who have permission to call out some of your blind spots, to shine light in the areas that you would rather hide, to stick their fingers in your suit? And as gross and as invasive as that may sound, are there people willing and allowed to do that? To ask the hard question, to challenge your thinking, to bring you back to the light. And going back to our earlier discussion of confessing sin, a key way that we will be able to confess and work through specific sins is to have people in our lives pointing out things we would rather overlook. And we need people to remind us of our fellowship in the gospel, to call us back to the light, because we are all so tempted to stray and wander and hide in darkness.
And so church, as we reflect on this passage, let us remember that God is light. And that as his people, as those who claim to follow him, let us not be deceived in the making little of our sin, but instead confessing our sin, a confession that leads to forgiveness. And let this common forgiveness and common grace unite us as we walk in the light of God together. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.